0: Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Drug overdose deaths nationwide declined 4% in 2018, according to preliminary CDC numbers released last month. In Missouri, though, overdose fatalities soared with a 16% increase. Only Delaware came anywhere close to such a spike. And for the show me state, those numbers came despite $65 million in federal grants aimed at tackling the problem. Joining me in studio to talk about these troubling statistics is Rachel Winograd. She's an associate research professor at the University of Missouri, St. Louis's Missouri Institute of Mental Health. We're also joined by David Patterson Silverwolf, Associate Professor at the Brown School at Washington University. Do you have a personal story to share about addiction? Where should Missouri focus its efforts when it comes to this ongoing crisis? Give us a call at 314 314- That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. Rachel Winograd and David Patterson-Silver, welcome to the program. Thanks for having
1: us. Yeah, thank you.
0: Rachel, let's start with you first. You help make decisions about where the Missouri Department of Mental Health should spend that federal grant money, and I know you're very disappointed with these numbers. What have we been spending money on?
1: So we've been spending money on a whole bunch of things across prevention, treatment, recovery support, and harm reduction efforts. And we can talk more specifically about what those are later in the program if that would be helpful. I would say the bulk of our dollars have gone to increasing access to medically focused treatment using medications like buprenorphine and methadone to help uh, treat opiate use disorder, as well as a medication that reverses opiate overdose, which is naloxone, also known as Narcan. So these dollars have Spanned programs, everything from community and youth education and prevention efforts, education for providers who are treating long term pain, a ton of training for providers who are engaged in any type of treatment or healthcare system on what to do about addiction and how to work with the patients they serve, and everything from that to. What we do later on, like recovery housing and vocational training, street outreach, uh, helping people get back to work, find meaningful, fulfilling lives. But if you want to look at uh, an actual budget and where the bulk of the dollars have gone, it's with uh, treatment programs that are focused on medication but uh, provide other wraparound services as well, and overdose education and naloxone distribution.
0: Do you foresee big changes to that in light of these numbers that, that have recently come out?
1: You know, I'm not in charge of the budget, the the state is, but um, I would say I hope not. I think the priorities were well-placed, and if anything, as I'm sure we'll discuss during this program, I think we need to scale up and double down on those evidence-based efforts. Okay.
0: David, you wrote a blistering op-ed published (laughs) in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch on July 30th. In it, you said, quote, The reactions coming from the Missouri leaders who are responsible for these very poor outcomes reveal attitudes that are either gullible or outright dangerous, or from my perspective, both. What did you mean by that?
2: Right. So let me just say I've been around addiction my whole life. I was born into a family with those problems. Uh, I eventually had those problems myself, went into treatment. Uh, eventually went into the treatment industry. So worked there for 15 years and worked with a variety of folks who have a substance use, order, substance use disorder or opioid use disorder. And now I'm in academics trying to teach young, eager social workers on how to work with these folks. And, and so I always start with behavior change is hard. And uh, I have sat in jail cells with people who they have been there for the, what I would consider the direct result of alcohol and drug use. And there's been times when they say, Well, you know, this wasn't my fault. They blame other people and they try to deflect all responsibility. And leaving there, you know, the expectation of change would be very low. And so, um, when I read this article, it just concerned me of some of the language that came from it. And, it. and it just sort of blew me back of, I've heard this before, The you know, sort of the reluctance to change.
0: And when you say this article, you're talking about a report that looked at how Missouri has gone up, even as other states have gone down. And it was some Missouri leaders, I think including Rachel, sort of defending the work they'd done.
2: Right. Okay. And, and you, you know, it was some of the comments were... And I've tried to use this around the house, by the way, pretty ineffective. It's we didn't do anything wrong. We just didn't do enough of the right things. Uh, I've I've tried that. It's not gone over well. (laughs) But uh, another comment was we wouldn't change a thing. Right. And um, and so it just concerned me of where we are and where I think Missouri needs to go uh, concerning this issue.
0: And do you think there is a clear path that Missouri should be on that it's not currently taking? I mean, Rachel just very briefly highlighted um, some of the things they're tackling. Is there something missing from that list?
2: So I would say it's a long story. It's it's It might be hard to wrap up in 30 minutes, but um, there was a history of things and how it all came about that I think that I had concerns and other people had concerns uh, that I'm happy to talk about and uh, hear and then share some. Uh, What I think some solutions are.
0: Okay. Uh, Well, you weren't shy about calling out Rachel in particular. I do have to give her credit for being willing to be here in the same room with you, and and you guys are getting along um, (laughs) very pleasantly, so that's good. Rachel, do you think David's criticism on this front has been fair?
1: Well, first, I want to say that I welcome criticism. I think when it comes to a public health emergency like this, we absolutely need it. We need smart people working on the inside, making change every day, doing the work and making decisions. And we need smart people on the outside who are critically looking in and examining those decisions and saying, hey, I think there was a misstep here, or hey, I don't think you're doing this enough, or I think you're doing too much of this, or etc. At the same time, I, I don't take all criticism equally. And and this op-ed w- was an example of something that um, sort of befuddled me, and I, and I imagine many of the readers. So, uh, f- for one, it it offered a, a load of, of criticism without offering a single solution. So I think uh, I, I share with many people that's sort of a, a frustrating take. You don't really know what to do with that. Um, so I, I read it, uh, but honestly. Uh, I work really hard. I take my work really seriously. And and I did take this article personally for that reason. The critics I want to listen to are the ones who are focusing uh, on evidence-based solutions and doing more of those or highlighting important things. So, for example, if I hear a critique about the racial disparities in overdose deaths in St. Louis, I listen to that. I am very concerned about that, and we need to do something more about that. I listen to critiques of about the fact that we're not scaling up in primary care treatment programs enough and mainstream healthcare centers. And we're not tackling that with the amount of verve that we need to be. And I listen to the criticism about us not doing enough, you know, direct street outreach and hard hit zip codes in St. Louis. But I can't spend time listening to critics who say that what we need to do is go back to the old way. Because honestly, that old way is what got us here. And that's uh, the exact opposite of what we need to do. And worse yet, I, I certainly can't listen to critics who don't have a single solution to offer themselves.
0: David, I, I got to turn this <coughs> over to you here. Um, first of all, is this a return to the old way that you'd like to see Missouri go back to what it had been doing before?
2: Oh, uh, no. Okay. Um, and so just let me say I had 700 words in this um, uh, this op-ed, and some of those were even cut. And so uh One of the solutions, a couple of the solutions that I offered is we need new leadership in this area. For those reasons, I said, you can either try to reform those folks who don't believe that there is a problem or put in another crew that might say, hey, the $65 million experiment is in, our data are in, and we need to try something different. Now, I'm not sure. So, Rachel and I have a history. <laughs> uh, we were together when all when the money came in, and I, I arrived in Missouri in 2012. So I was still trying to figure out the, the the makeup of the addiction treatment industry, and it took me about a year or so just to understand what was happening in St. Louis. And so, um, when this money started, uh, w- when there were talk of money coming in, there were there were these attitudes that. Um, Uh, You you know, think about in Missouri and across the country, treatment has been solely underfunded for decades. They're under-resourced, underfunded, and there's a vast amount of, of experience all across the state. And imagine some money coming into the state that's going to deal with a huge problem. And then a message comes out of this crew that basically says, if you've been doing it long, you've been doing it wrong. And the existing treatment structure, just like we heard today, is not the solution, it's the problem. And it was just breathtaking to hear this come out of folks who I would say had very their own very little experience and expertise in this area. It was quite shocking.
0: David, what do we know about what does help uh, drug addicts get off drugs and stay alive?
1: Well, yes, that too. That's critical. I'd say that first, but... Go
2: ahead. Right. And so let me just say, so uh, opioids are called by three names now. So this is important for the listeners to understand. Uh, The first name is uh, medication, prescription drug opioids. Then the second one is illicit opioids. And then the third now is medication opioids. And all three of those opioids can cause a dependence. Uh, They can cause a an opioid use disorder, and they can cause the loss of life. And so, um, for 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 a disorder that changes the structure and the function of your brain, you have to be s- sort of honest with folks uh, that flooding the market with more pills—that's sort of the effort here. And and medications have a place in recovery, but I, I think what's What's happening in in this state is that it's just flood the market with more pills, with basically more opioids.
0: So you're saying we're using medication to treat a problem of people taking some sort of drug in the first place? Well,
2: we're using medications that, two medications out of the three, the ones that are pushed the most, which is buprenorphine and uh, methadone, both of those have opioids. And we have to be clear with folks, um, again, they have a place in recovery, but they can't I think it would be more honest just to say you're going to be on opioids for the rest of your life. That's the safest sort of thing we have for you.
0: That's David Patterson Silverwolf, associate professor at the Brown School at Washington University. We're also here with Rachel Winograd, associate research professor at UMSL. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Now back to our conversation with Rachel Winograd, an associate research professor at UMSL, and David Patterson Silverwolf, an associate professor at the Brown School at Washington University. What do you think Missouri should be doing to stop drug overdoses? Give us a call at 314 382 8255. That's 382 TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on Air or email us at talk at STLPublicRadio.org. I know we've been getting some phone calls. Um, Before we go to those, Rachel, I know there were a couple things you wanted to address here.
1: Yeah, thank you. So, I mean, there's a whole bunch, but (laughs) let me start with the the most pressing. So for one, for the listeners, I want to put this uh, 16% increase in context. Uh, For one, I want to say it's incredibly discouraging. Um, And when I saw these numbers from the CDC in June, uh, yeah, my heart sank. Um, so I think we're all of us in this room are on the same page there. At the same time, there are a few things we should keep in mind when we look at year-over-year year percent increase. So statistically, that is very sensitive to where a state was the year before. Uh, and in actuality, it's not really the best science to look at year-to-year changes uh, when you want to get a big-picture perspective on where this country or any given state is going. Uh, so in Missouri, there's a, there's a problem, we call it statistical regression to the mean. You know, From 2016 to 2017, we stayed about level while a ton of other states increased hugely. This year, the country stayed about level while we were one of about 15 states that showed increases. Um, so that's one thing. One thing I wanna make sure we discuss in this hour is the huge influx of fentanyl, which is essentially poisoning our drug supply, which is hitting Missouri harder than most other states, and that's contributing largely to this increase. I also think we would be remiss not to talk about the disparities in urban black death rates that we're seeing nationally, and with our deaths focused in St. Louis and Missouri, uh, with a large black urban population, people are really getting decimated. In fact, in St. Louis, we saw a 5% decrease in deaths, actually a decrease among white males, and yet a 50% increase among black males in St. Louis City. So yes, these are the statistics that keep me up at night and the ones that I think are worthy of discussion. But I also don't want to say that a year to year increase of 16% uh, is an indictment on the way uh, that single opioid grant money was spent. Remembering that only one in eight people who need treatment get access to treatment. If we have money that goes specifically to prevention and treatment, we may may very well have very little impact in the overall state mortality rates year to year, but we do have a moral obligation to provide them with the things that we know save lives. For example, the medications that David was referring to earlier are the only things we have evidence for that reduce mortality by 50 to 70%. So if you're coming into my office and you need treatment today, it is my ethical responsibility to give you that treatment as opposed to some of these other strategies that we've tried for decades and got us into this place.
0: I want to go back to a couple of those points here in a second. But first, I know we have some callers hanging out on the lines and Jake on Twitter who writes, the increase in overdoses in Missouri might have been even worse if we hadn't invested the way we did. Um, Let's go now to the phone lines. We've got Laura on the line. Um, Laura, hi, you're on the air.
3: Hi,
1: my name is Laura Byroutin. I'm I actually know both David and Rachel and I'm a professor at Washington University. And I think the key thing we need to do is we need to follow science and we need to follow the data because we need to innovate to make our treatments faster, better, less expensive, sustainable, and we really need data
3: to do this. And what's really been uh, troubling has been the difficulty of getting data and the outcomes data that we often need. and I,
1: I want to. I think we should be doubling down on getting the data so that we could implement the most effective treatments and de-implement what, what's not working.
0: Laura, I actually see both of my guests here in the studio nodding as you say that. Um, David, do you want to hop in on anything about that data point?
2: Oh, sure. No. Um, right. We should be directed by data and science. That's sort of in my wheelhouse as well. And um, right. And it so Missouri had one data point to follow, right? And and so uh, it it always seemed throughout the years that uh, Missouri pitched this. Oh, things are not as bad. It's the way that the data is, you know. They, if this, 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 uh, and then the latest thing sort of has the same ideas that you know it's that's you know it's stats now. Um, but we can't ignore that. We we can't ignore what's happening in the rest of the country and and happening here as well. And just let me be clear for our listeners. Um, when you hear the word treatment, uh, in my mind, treatment is, uh, be, is, the, is the combination of medication and behavioral health treatment that happens over a long period of time. And I think when uh, Rachel and other folks talk about treatment, they're talking about medication, uh, because that's really where the bulk of the money went.
0: And what you're saying is, we also need, in addition to that, this this other component,
2: behavioral therapy, and behavioral right, because it's the idea that uh, there's an assumption that uh, when somebody ODs, that it's an it's a high gone wrong, but we have enough suicide data now that we know that's uh, not the case. So we wouldn't pull some somebody down off a twenty story ledge, or, or or find somebody that's playing Russian roulette. Give them Prozac and send them on their way. No, there, we would be sued. We would People would be outraged if we allowed that to happen. But with, with this population, it's here's your medication. Uh, be on your way. You might get some individual or some peer support, but you don't get that hard and fast, that difficult behavior change structure that so many people might want and do want.
0: Okay. I want to thank Laura um, for her call here. Um, Laura, thank you. We appreciate that that comment about the data, and it
1: sounds like we do need some better numbers. So let me speak to that for a second. I, I would take issue with the fact that we have only one data point to follow. Like I said, this increase in overdose death rate. Uh, is saddening, but you can't look at that in a vacuum. You, Like I said, you can't expect a single opioid-related grant to reverse this tsunami of a public health emergency that has befallen our country over the last two decades. We can't ignore all the systems that people touch and all the systems that fail those people while they may or may not go through our formal substance use treatment programs. So for example, uh, when we are a state that refuses to expand Medicaid, and kicks 100,000 people off Medicaid rolls in a single year, that refuses to legalize syringe access, that has incredibly high rates of poverty and incarceration. Uh, these things all touch a given individual. So yes, if we have a grant that is supposed to focus on treatment and harm reduction, and that is what we did. And our data, honestly, in terms of those two domain, domains, is incredibly promising. We have done rigorous evaluation on the treatment models that we've deployed, which include medication, but 95% of the people who go through these treatment programs receive something in addition to medication. So I just want to correct that as well. Uh, And we're seeing that fact that more people are engaging in treatment, and they're staying in treatment longer. And so if you listen to the World Health Organization, the American Society of Addiction Medicine, SAMHSA, HHS, American Medical Association, I mean, this is not controversial anymore. And honestly, it's a little bit scary that we're sitting here debating the role of medical treatment for a chronic condition uh, when nobody in any position of of scholarly expertise disagrees that this is exactly what we need to be doing to save lives.
0: I want to go back to the phone lines here. We've actually got another caller. Um, This is Robert. Um, Robert, uh, hi, you're on the air.
3: Hi, yes. I was in agreement with the treatment portion using medication to treat opioid medication. There's been a history of people within the addiction community and the recovery community that have found that strictly treating with another opioid is a continuance without some type of a post-treatment type of system like uh, 12-step recovery systems, which have been effective for decades and decades. Uh, These types of systems had much greater uh, recovery rates uh, in the past until the medications were introduced and the 12-step programs were changed years ago.
0: So you're you're kind of agreeing with David here that... Um, absolutely. Okay.
3: Yeah, absolutely. That so, my history and my experience has been uh, with addiction and recovery uh, in my own life and in my members of my family life that the 12-step programs have always been, and, and they've shown since the 1930s um and and, and into the 50s and into the you know current day is that they they are a proven method of of recovery
0: david would you agree
2: with that so just like one size don't fit all uh, i got clean and sober in a 12-step support uh, community um but so let me say again behavior change is hard and um Right. I think the American way is we have a pill for that. Right. And uh, you think about, you know, I sort of try to think about parables to this sort of thing. It's it's to me, it's the equivalent of you have somebody who has a gambling addiction and that you decide you're only going to give them a small portion of poker chips throughout the day to get them through. Right. Uh, and some people who have that gambling addiction may appreciate that. Others may think, you know what? you know this whole thing is just the problem i need i need to get out of the casino i need right no more poker chips you're right and to to, to change that behavior takes a long time and it and it takes uh professionals and i think when rachel talks about uh treatment and they get other things besides treatment yes that's true but it's not professional treatment most times it's peer review and it's our peer, peer support and those kind of things, it's not really what we would consider what somebody with an MD would get, right?
0: Rachel, I know there's a lot to unpack here, but I did see you shaking your head when the caller was saying that 12-step programs are what has been proven to work over time. It sounds like you would disagree with that. Well,
1: it depends on what you mean when you say work. When Mm -hmm. I think of what works to reverse an overdose death crisis, I want to look at the things that are proven to reduce the number of deaths. And we only have really two things that have been shown to do that. That's long-term access to safe medications like buprenorphine and methadone and community saturation with naloxone, the overdose antidote. I am absolutely a supporter of 12-step programs, of uh, smart recovery, of refuge recovery, Buddhist programs, whatever you want to do to make your life fulfilling. Because I realize that being alive is about more than not being dead. I get that. We can't just talk about saving lives and end the conversation there. And I have never done that. But what I do also know is that being alive is a necessary prerequisite for achieving recovery. So those are absolutely the first things we need to do when we're in the midst of a poisoning crisis.
0: Robert, thank you for your call there, I appreciate that. Um, David, I wanted to go to you just briefly. Um, When Rachel was talking about fentanyl and how that flooding the Missouri market has pointed to some of these increases here, it looked like you were disagreeing with that. What do you think is the case with, I mean, everything we're hearing is that fentanyl is what's killing people, fentanyl is what's killing people.
2: Right, so there's nothing happening in Missouri that's that's not happening in in other states and their rates have went down. Uh, One is Kentucky. Uh, the the other is georgia there are plenty of examples of states just like uh, missouri that the reasons for everything that comes out of this office that it's not going down is because of those things other states have been able, been able to overcome that and so if at some point i would hope to offer solutions uh with time re- remaining and, and some of one of those uh, solutions is we have to learn from other states who have done this right who have done it s- successful they have done this total wraparound uh, uh, service. They didn't discount traditional treatment. They didn't see it as the problem. Uh, they incorporated all kinds of services uh, uh, into their efforts, and they spent their, uh, what I would say, $65 million or equivalent very very effectively because their rates have went down. I have so other we, solutions.
0: Yeah, we are at a point where we only just have a, maybe a minute or so left. Can you tell us, what is a state that's doing this right? Who should we look to?
2: Kentucky, uh, Georgia. I would say those are two pretty good examples where they had similar numbers, but their rates went significantly down.
1: Rachel, are you looking at those states? I'm always looking at other states, and I'm always wanting to see what innovative practices are being deployed that we can borrow and adopt. Uh, So Kentucky, for example, their death rate is higher than ours. And this is one of the problems with looking at year-to-year increases and decreases. So yes, theirs went down, but the year before, their rate went way up. And two key differences with Kentucky, in which I'll agree with David that we need to model, are that they expanded Medicaid, and they have a really robust legalized syringe access program. We cannot continue to say we care about the opioid crisis in Missouri and refuse to pass legal syringe access programs because people are going to use drugs. People have always used drugs. They will always use drugs. And we need to engage people in care and meet them where they are at and help them move along. By enacting these strict requirements for participation in the treatment program that we think is best, that's what kills people.
0: Rachel, just one quick question here. What are our numbers looking so far in in 2019? Is there a sense things might be improving?
1: So unfortunately, uh, CDC death numbers are are really delayed. Um, We're able to get quicker numbers back from independent medical examiners, but it's really hard to tell those numbers are preliminary. Um, I will say uh, I don't expect any massive declines, um, just like in many other states that are seeing increases. Uh, That have some of the same structural problems we have. We need a lot more than an opioid grant to solve this crisis.
0: Rachel Winograd uh, and David Patterson-Silver Wolf, thank you so much for joining us today. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.